I Found Peace by Annie Sykes, as told to Rua Grace. For The Activist Practitioner, issue number four, Sanism, December 2020. This is Annie Sykes' Indigenous response to Rachel Munro's thoughts and words about finding her voice. Rua, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, Annie? My experience of discrimination was in the old mental health system, so coming in, being admitted as a young Maori, Indigenous New Zealander woman who was ignored and no knowledge of their own father. There was denial in my family around being Maori. There was certainly no acknowledgement of the spiritual and its importance in my life. And there was prejudice amongst staff and, I have to say, doctors in my treatment. Rua, your first experience of this, can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Annie, yes, my first experience at 19... Sorry, I have to go back. 1971 was my first admission, and so my years of admission amount to about 19 years. Of the last eight years being consecutive years from 88 to 91. So I really did experience this prejudice in the early 70s of my admission. Through the 80s as well, and over this period, there wasn't any health knowledge or respect for anything cultural, you know. I didn't give permission that they, you know, something like an exorcism is really against Maori culture. We wouldn't do that. And I was forced into having an exorcism. So that's that's an extreme example of hospitals to dismiss my spirit, I will say. Rua. And then, can I just clarify, the exorcism you mentioned, was that within the health system? Annie, yes, it was within. And they brought priests in. Rua. How prepared were you for that? Was it just thrust upon you, or did they talk to you? Annie, no talking to me about it. It was thrust upon me. I was gifted spiritually then, anyway. My family was scared, and my mum wasn't nurturing, and then when I went into hospital, of course, it got immersed into what they considered more voices and disturbing manifestations. My words. Rua. With the labels or diagnosis placed on you that you agreed with or disagreed with, How did you find that whole world of diagnosis and doctors? Annie. Yes, it was very interesting. I was not told that I was given a label for a few years, quite a few years later. I learnt it from the GP. It was on my file that I had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Rua. The psychiatrists have their own understandings of those words. How did you define it for yourself, or how have you defined it for yourself going forward? Annie, first of all, when I heard that, I couldn't accept that. I don't know whether it was because of what it meant or what I understood about it or my understanding that it meant treatment was medication. Most recently, with the assistance of a wonderful, progressive, loving, inclusive team, I understand that there is a wee part of me that is, you need medication. You know, a very monitored amount of medication and that is necessary daily. And the greater part of me, they, the team, have acknowledged fully my spiritual journey, and I'm very comfortable with that, and they've nurtured that part of my being and embraced it. They may not necessarily understand me and the depth of it, but what it's done, it's enabled me to walk with my voices and places and to just be who I am. Rua. And could you tell me a bit about your Indigenous roots? Annie, I am from the Bay of Plenty in the North Island of New Zealand, from the tribe Ngati Rangatihi. We have a very patriarchal traditional system. 
Women are still not allowed to talk on the Marais, meeting grounds. Today, however, in my own choosing, in my own journey, I have found my own truth, and I actually acknowledge fully the Great Mother, so I'm very much with the feminine energy. And in doing so, that fits with my values and who I am as a person and living my life authentically today as a modern woman. Roa, thank you. And can you tell us a little bit more about your work? I mean, since the time in the hospital and all the labels as well, how did you come to be in Australia? Annie, okay, backing up to 88 again. My family effectively had handed me over. I became the responsibility of the hospitals, who had effectively designated me no hope, because that meant my chances of being discharged were remote. I actually had a psychiatrist come in and ask what I wanted. They didn't talk to you up until then. That was not the way of the system. They talked around you, but never asked you a question or asked how you felt. And he asked me what I wanted. I said I wanted a chance and that I was very over-heavily medicated, so I couldn't leave the hospital anyway. He immediately started reducing my medication. Again, it was very controversial with all the other doctors. I got back up because of the delegates of the church coming to visit patients like myself. We didn't have visitors. And I can only say I'm not clear on this, and I'm lucky that I would have had to have talked to them, because they were responsible for raising money. So I would have told them my story or what I wanted. And what happened was, and it was all about the timing, that the church congregation who didn't know me raised money for me. I cannot even recall how I got a ticket to Australia or a passport, or that the date was set for November the 11th, 1988, to fly to Australia. I said I wanted to come to Australia. I also had a diagnosis of no hope. And the morning of my flight, I'm still in hospital in their halfway house. People probably brought me up to Auckland, Auckland, put me on an aeroplane and I flew here to Australia with one small suitcase and they gave me $200. I had a friend here who said to me that if ever I could get out or get away, she would give me a place to stay. And so that was the beginning of my life here in Australia, my journey of recovery. Rua, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been involved with since then? I mean, that was a big deal coming out of New Zealand. And maybe could you just give us a little overview of what you've been involved with since you've been in Australia? Annie. Yes, I actually have been on the cusp of many paradigm changes, radical changes, social changes here in Australia. And during that period of time, we're also trying to navigate the public mental health system, which wasn't able to meet my needs, unfortunately, because my needs were too great until 2010. Prior to that, in the early 90s, what really began my journey was that I became involved with the Gay and Lesbian Counselling Service. We were the first women to go in. Before that, it was men only. So I came through those doors as a participant. And then I did my counselling training, or my phone counselling, and eventually became co-convener. At that time, we were looking to share senior roles. So I would have been voted in by the members and became the co-convener with another guy. And then I moved, I'll just say, my political beliefs. I was very inclusive in my thinking, and some of my beliefs might have been too progressive because they did end up removing me because of my mental illness. And so from there, I was involved in sport and tennis and moved around a lot. 
And then I became really, really ill. I was ill from my years in the psych system back in New Zealand. They never looked at any of that. And that illness and acute sickness led to many serious operations. And then from there, there was a major decline in my physical health. And my mental health still wasn't getting the attention it required. And then in the 2000s, I was doing public appearances. I'd written the first recovery paper. And I was doing motivational public talks in central Sydney, moving around here. I was also working on a big education program where all the police and community services came in and they had a whole mental health education day at Roselle. I was the person engaged to speak about my history and engage with them however they required. I also wrote papers on spirituality and what that means. I really had a great attendance. Priests and other people came in to hear that. I didn't continue though because I just got sick. Again, very, very sick. I'd already started conversations about those two really important dimensions. And also I had moved in to do a lot of cultural and countercultural work as well. Acknowledging my own waka papa, heritage, and then I found Janet Meir. I'd crossed paths with Janet Meir in public engagement speaking. She was in PRA, Psychiatric Rehabilitation Australia, and a position opened. They'd been looking for an appointment there for over a year, and she approached me on several occasions to apply. I did, obviously, and that was for the independent advocacy position, which has continued to today. We're the only senior independent advocate for Flourish, Australia, so I've held that position for 19 years. There was no model, nothing to go on then, and today, to my knowledge, we are actually still the only advocate that sits independently within an NGO mental health service. Rua, just one more question, and thank you for sharing that. This magazine issue is focusing on sanism, or the discrimination that comes about from those with diagnosis or mental health challenges. In your work, how would you support someone who's dealing with this, who is dealing with discrimination, who's dealing with the outfall of diagnosis and all the challenges? What would you say or do that would help out? Annie, first of all, for me, I would definitely in myself be mindful of where the person is in themselves. I would certainly reassure them. First and foremost, acceptance. You don't come accepting who you are, because that's how I see it. You know, it's no longer separate. It doesn't define me either. It's part of me. And so I would explore their capacities and their willingness or openness and see where they are and how they have been hurt. And there is definitely an openness to hear. Being mindful that to not have them hear the negative language, to get rid of it, means not acknowledging what you're living with. So I'd just sit with that person quietly and talk openly about my life and then have them share with me, talk about medication or not, from the way they are, I would journey beside them. Rua, just in relation to Rachel's story, was there anything that came up for you when Rachel told her story about her mother? Annie, her mother, yes, 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 very much. Because my mother was significant. My grief and my rage resulted from my relationship with my mum and her inability to stand up for me or speak for me. And the ultimate betrayal, the sexual assault and everything at home, mum turned a blind eye. 
She was interviewed by psychiatrists when I was in hospital and she denied that any of that had gone on at home. That really seriously broke me. I felt betrayed and so my relationship with my mum was very fractured. She couldn't talk to me unless she was drunk. When she was sent over here to Australia by my family to support me when I had big operations, she never stayed with me. She wasn't here. She went and stayed with friends. So what Rachel wrote really resonated with me around my relationship with my mum. I never knew why mum was that way. I now have some peace around that in recent years. It took a lifetime for me to do that. I found peace. That was How I Found Peace by Annie Sykes in conversation with Rua Grace for the Activist Practitioner, issue number four, Sanism, December 2020. The next episode will be The Z to A of Crazy, a fantastic poem by Elise Blaney. See you there.